Hello, and welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with one of my lifelong friends, Owen H. Dunn, and we'll get a bit into his name, him as a person, and really interesting and a deep conversation around um, what it's like being a person of color in the both Black and queer communities and some of his thoughts on those based on his personal experiences. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the distinct pleasure of uh, interviewing my lifelong friend, I would say, Owen H. Dunn, and we'll talk a little bit about that name and what that means, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I'm really excited about this. I love podcasts. Podcasts are great. I listen to them when I am... uh, tapped out on music or I just want to hear a thought. I want to like learn something, but I want to like do something else at the same time. Cause like YouTube videos, YouTube videos are just sure. like too much sometimes. I'm like, okay, I just want to, can you just like talk to me about it? And like, maybe like just pretend I'm not here. Like you guys have a conversation. I just want to feel like I'm ear hustling, you know, like that's kind of how I like to feel about podcasts. So podcasts are great. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I'm that person at the table. That's way too close to the restaurant, like pre COVID and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like listening to your yep. whole conversation. Exactly. That's a podcast exactly. for me. So I love that, obviously. Awesome. Glad to have you on, Owen. So let's uh, just so just to give the listeners a little uh, outline of where we're going today with Owen. So we'll talk a little bit about Owen, how we know each other, um, a little background on himself. And then we'll talk about what it's like. Um, Owen works in the film industry um, and arts and sort of that background. We'll talk a bit about um, how he kind of got into that, some tips for other people, and then what it's like um, as a male in the queer community, especially an African-American male, um, and sort of we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And then we'll wrap up. Owen's got a couple projects coming down the pike, so he'll share that with folks so that people can check it out, watch live, all kinds of great stuff. So let's get into it. So, Owen... It was just so weird for me to say, and the people don't understand why. Because <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This is so official." It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> so official. Because uh, why don't you give the folks a little rundown of why that's so funny, and a little bit about yourself and how we know each other? Um, so we are actually first cousins. So that is how I know Monique through like birth and like genetics. So that's fun. And she's used to like referring to me as Justin, which is my legal name, which Owen has a very long, sordid pathway to becoming my name. But yeah, I know like my secret identity is exposed. It is, um, it's out there for the masses. Oh no. I can alert the masses and protect my family, you know. But um, so um, that is that, I guess, as far as name stuff goes. Um, my name stuff. I mean, there's other names like cool names like i don't know aurora or something but that's just mine i don't know (laughs) i'm not i'm rambling it's okay um i guess for folks um what made you kind of have more of a a stage name so to say or pseudonym versus just going with the your legal name or some uh slightly different version of your legal name or whatever well, fun fact, there was a guy who has my legal name who won an Oscar for Kramer versus Kramer in ah. 1979, and he was 10. So weirdly enough, I remember I was in Walmart, and I was like 10 years old, and this guy was like, ah, 
Justin Henry. There was a guy who won an Oscar for that, for Kramer versus Kramer in 1979. I was like, great, awesome, thanks, dude. And I was like in the middle of Walmart, too. And he goes, oh, if you ever become an actor, you're going to have to get a different name. And I was like, thanks, guy, cool. If I ever become an actor, I'll get a different name. Well, lo and behold, obviously, because life is that random, I wound up becoming an actor, and so there was already someone in SAG and, and who had my name. And for folks who are familiar with the so film, kept... SAG is what, Screen Actors Guild? Okay. Screen Actors Guild, yeah. So you can only have one person with a name. That's what people are like, her name's Taraji P. Henson, because they might have been another Taraji Henson, or I don't know, maybe it's just like that. But that's why a lot of people wind up having like double names or adding letters and stuff like that. So I was like, I tried all these combinations. I hated it. So I was reading a book, and I was like, I've never been really fond of my name anyway. So I just was like, reading this book, and this character was so perfectly me. I was like, okay, this is me. And the more I, I picked up two years later and read it, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is solid. And my roommates read it, and I had an aunt who read it, and they were all like, wow, yeah, that's really you. And so I kind of like made a hyphenate between my name and the character's name, and it kind of really fit. And it kind of gave me, allowed me to kind of kind of transcend to this other thing and it, it wasn't until I after I graduated because I changed my name when I was in college and then I came back and after I graduated I started going out and I was meeting all these people who I disappeared from a city for four years and so I went to, went to um, undergrad in Connecticut and so I come back and I'm this new this new name where people kind of remember me but they like they, people who knew me knew me did but like it was this new time of reinvention as well and so I was going out and I had a friend who was like, yo, stop introducing yourself as Justin if your name's Owen. I look dumb. And I was like, very valid, Matthew. And so I just started introducing myself as Owen, but really it gave me this like comfortability, like really just rip the bandaid off and be like, oh, this is a real person. And then it started, it was weird because it became this thing where it was like, eventually more people knew me as Owen than it was Justin. And then I started working, which was like exponentially so many more people and stuff like that. And in film, as I work in, it's like you're encountering so many people. So it kind of just grew. And then when I went to grad school, my like actual work, e like student email said Owen on it. And I was like, oh, this is official as fuck. And I was like, okay, cool. And then um, seven years later, here I am. So no, yeah, that's it's really cool. Ride. And you bring some points that kind of bring us to the couple of the next topics that we'll talk about. Um, so you talk about, you know, going to grad school and kind of that bit. Um, you know, you work, as you mentioned, you're an actor, you work in film, I know you do in music, just a little bit of everything that is the umbrella that is the arts, right? So I know you do some fashion, fashion uh -huh. stuff, contributing to different yeah. artists, stuff, yeah, you know, all kinds all of things. Stuff. So I guess some of, some of my questions around, um, what kind of got you inspired? Like what really inspired you to get into the arts in general? And then what really took you down the path of really pursuing uh, a deeper education in the arts? A lot of people, you know, you know, go to an LA or something like that and just going to make it. I'm just going to go off a of straight talent and just, I'm great. And I'm that good. I could be the next, you know, whatever Denzel. I could be the next, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of names of people. Um, I've been drinking, so I don't know. Um, but the next great thing, right? I the next that. Jessica Alba, whatever. <laughs> I could be the next great person. And so, yeah. what what kind of led you down that uh, deeper education? You mentioned the masters and 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 uh, undergrad degree as well. Um. Well, my parents. It's funny because 
both of my parents, as you know, are really educated. Like both have multiple degrees and like they didn't know art. And so it's funny because like they were so ignorant of like the actual, like making a living as an artist thing to where they were like all they, they knew was like, you're going to get educated, at least in what you're doing. You're going to get a degree, a certificate, because worst case scenario, you can just teach. And not worst case scenario, but they're like, at the end of the day, if everything, you can't make it as an artist, you know, you can teach at least. But they were really skeptical initially, because you know when your kid tells you you want to go be an artist? You're like, I think they're great, but you know, I'm their parent. So like, and I don't know nothing about art. So like, I think they're great, but like, are you really that right. great enough to go like, make a living as it? Now, as they started to see, as I got older, there's people started to tell him, no, he could make a living doing this. Like, he should really seriously consider it. And it's it's a hard thing, I understand, for any parent to, who does, especially just, the arts are so, such a gamble. So it's like, and some people want to be in them. And so, to really do that, they were like, well, if you're going to do that, go get educated on it. And also, like, I'm a person of color, especially a queer person of color. So when I walk up in a room, no one's expecting me to be in charge or know what I'm talking about. People oftentimes talk to me as I'm dumb a lot of times or like, like to talk over me. And I'm like, no, 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 bruh. This is what this is, is and this and this and this because of this, this and this on top of the fact that you can use like fancy degrees are these things of like, I call them my now what nows because it's those things you say in conversation that instantly stop no matter how bougie or privileged or powerful you are. When you say them in conversation, they stop people and mm. they take a second look at you. And so um, I think that education in ways, because there are these institutions that have had a stamp mm -hmm. and seal of approval on them, they serve as helpful now what nows to people of color because oftentimes we don't get very much face time with these important people. So simply saying, hey, I'm finishing up a master's degree at Columbia for directing for film. That's one sentence that stops the bougiest or most important white person who asked me for two seconds on set what I'm working on. And they ask a second, they're like, oh, wait, well, hold on. I'm curious. Like, you're doing something mm -hmm. to further your own understanding. And not to mention, it shows that you can complete something. You can put in this time to further your understanding it. You mm -hmm. can take your craft seriously. Like, I have spent four years of training myself to be a really informed actor and dancer and musician. So like, it doesn't just, it, it's, a, it's a honed skill. It's not just magic, it's something I press that button. It happens the same way every time, every night, eight shows a week, it happens, it's, it's the same. And so I think that school and education gives you that because it gives you processes and methods of getting to that mystified place every night. And so it doesn't feel like you're just like hoping and dreaming and wishing upon a star. It's like, you know, this is like a, procedural kind of thing as opposed to yeah i don't think a lot of people realize how much of a true like craft skill not just raw talent that the world of the arts is like you have to have some talent right there's not there's no mm -hmm. if ands or buts about it you yeah. can go correct it only gets anywhere. you so far it only gets you you know yeah yeah, yeah i mean yeah. you may get In lucky but you can't you know build a career plan a life on luck right so so I guess what would be mm -hmm. tips for other people if I'm, you know, I'm maybe, maybe I'm 14 and I'm interested in the arts, whether it be film, you've done a little bit of everything, film, dance, um, music, whatever. Do you, do you, would you, if you had your younger self to do it again, would you still do the degree or, 
or a mixture or kind of test your waters in different ways, what would your advice be to your younger self? I'd say hold fast to who you are and like, don't let other people define you. Cause I think I spent so much time, like, I'm glad I did the education route because I think for me, I was a person who didn't innately think that I had it because I think that so many times in these institutions of education, in order to get this high level of training as a person of color, unless you can shuck it and jive it up like with the master, like you don't, and you can be these stereotypical roles until recently, they didn't really see much value in you. So you were always just taught to be kind of just mm-hmm. grateful to be there and grateful to have been allowed in this rarefied air that you know that you're the one black person. Like there was one black dude a year mm. in my program. One, there are four years of college. So four black men are in our program a year. Out of how many people? So it breeds this feeling. There were 69 people in my mm. year, in my program. We had one black dude and that was me. And if I'm your black dude, I know they can't see me, but I glow in the dark in the winter. I'm about as high yellow as it comes. Like, come on. So I'm just like, it teaches you to just be appreciative for the fact that you can be there because at the end of the day, you can't fix this thing that's an air quotes problem for them, which is your blackness of not being able to fit into this box that they've already Mm. pre-prescribed for you. So I think that like, for me, I think that it'd be to know that like, just because they can't tell a piece of glass from a diamond sitting in the middle of the street, doesn't mean you're not a diamond and doesn't mean to sparkle any less bright. Because I think a lot of times as black people in these institutions and these predominantly white institutions, you're taught to kind of dull your shine in order not Mm -hmm. to make other people feel bad because they can't understand it. If you start to talk about intersectionality and racism and these different things like that, the predominantly cis hetero white male groups that run these institutions are gonna feel bad. They're instantly going to wind up as being on the problem side of these issues because of the space that they occupy. So it becomes very isolating for them. So in order to like maneuver through this, like W.E.B. Du Bois talks about, you have to have like the duality of this blackness towards this black person who maneuvers through this world to not upset the balance these white people have in their art- artistic, happy, liberal, neo sphere and still find some level of authenticity in art. And that's a really hard thing. Because it's hard to say, be vulnerable and completely honest of who you are and still be worried about that authenticity hurting someone else's feelings by simply existing because you can't really separate your blackness out from your artistic experience and expression of self because it's Mm -hmm. such a part of your identity. And so that was the kind of thing I think I wish that I knew the most because I spent so much time beating myself up because I thought I was do I couldn't be this thing I thought I needed to be. And it was because there was no versions or representation of anyone who looked like me anywhere in what I was doing. Like the first time I saw someone on screen who literally looked like me, a light-skinned, blonde-haired, black dude with bushy eyebrows who dresses kind of like a homeless person who was queer on a screen was I was mm. 26 years old. I'm watching a show on Showtime that I got, which is this, it's actually the straight dude playing this queer artist, which is really interesting about the whole show, which like mostly people were all straight people. Which don't get me started mm-hmm. about representation in that matter, because it's not, it's not a problem with like, I have no problem with straight people playing queer characters. It's the fact that like queer artists have been spent so much time conforming and trying to be into this mm-hmm. bubble in order to work. So when you have someone who's a flaming queer person, you give them some straight dude so he can stretch as an actor, not this 
queer person who's actually flaming who can't get a job like that yeah. is the accountability in the world that's my problem with that but that's a whole other tangent but anyway like so yeah i think that that's kind of what it all comes down to because like it's about like seeing yourself and you can't know that what you're doing is right unless you someone tells you it's not wrong to be anything other yeah. than what you've seen before i think that's not oftentimes given to people in these institutions so that's like the converse of like yeah you get all this education like I could get dropped on a Broadway stage mm -hmm. tomorrow and be fine in the show. Like, pick up the number, you get your, your five days of equity rehearsal and go into it, it's fine. Like, mm -hmm. I have a machine at doing that. And I have the t skills and tools set to do that. On the flip side, I pay with some little pieces of my mm -hmm. soul, <laughs> in a way. Or pieces of my humanity and my identity. And so, that's kind of what you get when you go into these, like, machines. Because mm -hmm. they are machines. And you get conditioned, but it's... Not always great. Right. Um, leave a lot right. of scars. Good information. Good tips. So you've alluded yeah. to it. We've talked about it. We're going to probably spend probably the remainder of our time. I feel oh, like yeah. a lot. There's a lot to unpack here in this next topic of the idea. Oh, yeah. Of, and you've talked a little bit about it, especially in the film industry, in the arts, um, in the greater community, mm -hmm. in the world in general. The idea and the dichotomy and the challenges that exist between between being and i'm going to be honest and be really open with our visitors i don't really know much um in any real depth of the queer community of the black and queer community um it's not that i'm like i'm hiding i'm running for i just it's not my community i don't you know especially you know i'm like i'm also don't go anywhere <laughs> i don't go anywhere so it's yeah, COVID. I mean, it's like COVID so, it's, yeah, you know, like... you know, there's a large queer community out here in the Bay Area where I live, but I also don't go anywhere because I'm boring and I stay at home mm -hmm. and watch Netflix. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's, it's COVID. COVID. So, <laughs> like... um, I'm just curious to really understand and feel free to be as open or not open or kind of you're, I know, Justin, uh, Owen, an open <laughs> book. I knew it was going to happen one of these times. <laughs> it's, I know you're an open book in general. And probably more open than yeah, than, really. than most folks would be. <laughs> Some, Some would care. Like, I think it's just interesting to, to get your viewpoint and in a, in a maybe semi succinct way um, about what it's like being a male in the queer community, especially being black and queer, both in a couple communities in the queer community being black and queer, and in the black community being black and queer, which are two kind of different side i mean you you fit into both of those worlds and i think there's different challenges yeah. that may exist on either side of that coin right so in the black community that there's a long Which history I... of homophobia that is really not yes. it's starting to move a little bit in some circles but uh but just my perception but not in a lot it's got a long way to go got a long way to go compared to I would say the Caucasian or predominantly white or the mass general community yeah. is in a different place and then even within the queer community so then we splice that out into the queer community and what's it like um with the kind of more the factors okay you're all you know some spectrum on the queer LGBTQIA plus spectrum there's all the letters um, but then where that sits and how that your blackness plays a role. So I'd be curious to get your thoughts on some of that. Cause I, I think it, 
I think it's an interesting place to be. And I hear bits and pieces from the little bit of stuff I deal with on my level, but I just would get your thoughts and how challenging it is, what it's like, and maybe those two big buckets in the black community mm-hmm. and in the queer community and kind of how they differ the same or where, where those kind of differences lie. Okay. Um, it's funny you said that I, um, <laughs> I belong or I'm homes in both because I feel like it's interesting because I feel very outsidered by both because I think mm. that racism is very rampant in the queer community. Mm. And I think that um, homophobia is very rampant in the black community. So it's weird mm. being a black person of color because it kind of puts you at odds at all times because like the queer community doesn't want mm. you and the black community doesn't want you. So it's kind of, you're like, whoa, fuck it to all of y'all. It's kind of how you want to be. And so it kind of has made this kind of attitude that I have as far as why my art and stuff to where I don't care who it's offending. I don't care who it's making problems for because at the end of the day, I'm just doing me. And they're going to be offended. Somebody is going to be regardless. Now, I still, like, am a good person and I'm not going to go out and harm people. But at the end of the day, like, I can't apologize for being my authentic version of myself. And mm-hmm. so, for, like, the queer community, there's such a pervasive problem with racism. A lot of it goes back to, I think, a lot of, like, well, the obvious racist things that the world has. But also even things, everything down to, like, this dating apps are really racist. They'll put things like, no, no blacks, no Asians, no Hispanics. But then sometimes really? they'll even go so far as they'll just say no and they'll put food items right there. So it'll be like rice, tacos, and like watermelon. Or like really? it's, it's that bad. That's how racist Like emojis is. Like or whatever? emojis. And that's representing what they're saying. It's just like, oh, it's just a sexual, sexual preference. But that's not true. We know in the studies have shown that's no, not true. That's, that's not, how not that like top versus no, bottom, it's which not, I, it's, I know that's it's, a thing. But <laughs> yeah, I don't thing. know. What, I mean, I know what it means, but I'm like, I have no. Yeah, yeah. What I, I get that thing. that would make sense. Yeah, right? like exactly. It's a, that's a physical that's thing. Like, but like, that's a sexual like, preference. You know, if you like, talk the lights, you don't know the difference. So it's like at the end of the day, like these people are just lying. So what you're not attracted to is the idea of blackness or the idea of this thing. Because at the end of the day, like you can find a black person that looks like everything from Meghan Markle to Lupita Nyong'o. That's a big, wide variety. You got almost looking white and literally so gorgeously dark skin. Like, come on. Like, so the idea to say, I don't find black people attractive is just saying you don't find the idea of blackness, the station that black people represent in this world an attractive characteristic to be and invite into your world. And that Mm. is something that I don't find personally as a flattering or as a, a, a compliment to me when some cis, some cis white dude in a gay bar comes to me and goes, hey, I'm not usually into black guys, but I think you're really attractive. Because what you're saying to me is you don't find blackness attractive, but I happen mm. to be an exception in your eye because you find me attractive. And so you have to, mm. you have to relegate me as something to different than black or other than black. Yeah, because my than, identity yeah. can't conform to the idea of what your sexuality you've told yourself likes. So therefore, you have to thin take it upon yourself once again as a white person to re-identify me and to change my identity for me because it does not conform with your idea of who I am. And so therefore, mm. that does not read as a compliment to me. That reads as you think that you can own my body and my own sense of identity on top of the fact that you just simply came over here to fetishize and live out a fantasy mm. of hooking up with some black dude, which I'm sorry, brother man. If you think of me as your fetishized version of blackness, you are way much more institutionally 
conditioned than you think. Because at the end of the day, like I said, I glow in the winter. So like, come on, really, you're furthermore just relegating into a fetish of this idea because you can yeah. even say that I do not fit that idea. So like, come on, you're two different identities of what you prescribe to me don't even line up. And that's where the confliction yeah. happens in. And so then either they get mad at me for not taking it as a compliment or I just have to sit there and be like, okay, I know what you mean. And like, just act like it's a compliment. So it's like, I usually kind of just like steer away from that in the queer community, which I feel like the queer community, I must say, is so much more racist than the black community is homophobic, I'll say. Really? I would say really? that. I would firmly stand like behind that. Like if you put that. them on like a scale, like right, you live I have been out, five like times that. more like adverse reactions had towards me in gay situations because they think of themselves as so like, mm. they feel so unabashed when they say these kind of racist things because it's justified by their sexual preference. Right. So they don't mind being like, Sorry, I'm just not into black yeah. guys. Like, you're attractive at all. Like, you're really gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. You look great in your top. I'm just not really into black guys. And it's like, how is that not offensive? That's, as, that seems, I mean, to, to just blanket. Now, if they just said, I'm just not into you. It'd be one thing, and that's great. But you just say, I'm not into black guys. And that has happened to me multiple times at bars, said to my face. I believe it. And they, they, the, the thing that throws me every time is they say it like it's just, it's not that big of a deal. Why are you making it? Like, it's just, I'm just not. It's like, no, I don't really drink like apple teenies. I'll take a beer. Like, it's like that. That's literally how casually they say that. It to you. Yeah, I think, I think some of that is interesting that that occurs because I think of similarly in the corporate world that I oh, have yeah. been flow into, right, in my normal day life. Like, it's the same idea of going to like the days at my all-girls school. I won't name them yeah. so that we don't. But like, they don't mean I don't I think it's some of that implicit mm -hmm. unconscious bias that they don't even realize that it's that it's offensive, right? To be like, oh wow, you're so well spoke so well spoken. Yeah. And it's I think the worst is because like with gay people, it's like I'm in a, a situation where I'm here to have fun and let go and I'm like here for community and in a queer mm -hmm. space to let my walls down. And mm -hmm. so I'm in the middle of having fun, and then I get mm -hmm. instantly armed, like, or, like, disarmed. I, I'm, I'm, like, thrown, and then, like, our guard goes back up, because I'm like, whoa, this is racist as fuck. Whereas, like, if I'm going to, like, a situation, because I spend a lot of time with a lot of black queer people, too. So a lot of the black people I'm around are very open-minded, and people who know me are very pretty open-minded, because, like, I mean, I'm gay as fuck, like, yo. Like, um, <laughs> but not quite about it. But, and it's okay, and it's so, great. It's you, it's you, so we like you. Exactly. At the end. And so, um, so I feel like black people a lot of time, if I'm going around black people who I know we're going to have this certain kind of mindset, one, I'm really clear, clear they know where, where I stand, clearly. So most people are going to keep their mouth shut or unless they really try to come for me and then we can have a discourse. But I, I know what I'm getting when I go into there. Whereas like the queer community, it's not like they all look the same. I can be, I can be, I can say, okay, that's what this person's going to look like. Who's going to do this offensive thing? Or that's what's going to look the same because they might be dressed head to toe as a drag queen and feeling like this, I think, or like be in this super seeming like cool costume with all these like cool black men they come with. And it's, it's you just never know who these people are. So it's mm. a little because I think this idea of queerness kind of in our brains kind of tricks us to think of like this open mindedness. And so mm. it's funny that people just assume and associate, OK, you're queer, so therefore you have to be open minded. But there are a whole subsect of population, the gays for Trump. And like. It just shows you, though, how much that, like, the ideology and the 
identity of whiteness can supersede almost anything. So the point where that's why I say that like race, I think, pervades my identity so much more than my sexuality does. Because at the end of the day, right. I could be some artsy brother or I could butch it up if I really wanted to. But I will always be a black man in this world. Yeah. And so. You walk into a room, they don't necessarily, I mean, mind you, when you're wearing certain things, they may assume. Exactly. Exactly. But, but I mean, if you just have on jeans and, you know, jeans and t-shirt, you just like whatever, head, hat backwards, like the people can't see, but hat backwards, whatever. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this is a person uh, of the, of what looks like maybe the male gender and, and that's it. They don't, you can't just see a person's sexuality, but. They can see, I don't care if you got a mask on because it's COVID or exactly. whatever, your blackness or at least person of a color, even if they can't readily identify you by, by your quote unquote ethnic group. Yeah, I think it, I think that's really what's interesting about this. And actually, yeah. Christian and I were talking about um, this topic, just to just the interesting changes. Not that this was on the outline, but um there's more recently the Catholic church has, has come and the Pope specifically has come uh, in a pro state of gay marriage, which was such a surprising, not that I don't support, I'm in, you know, violent support of it, but surprising from the Catholic church. And there's people Mm -hmm. who are very uh, upset about that Catholics and things uh, about this change in, in change in stance on, on gay marriage and homosexuality. Um, And I thought it was interesting because I think over time things have evolved within the church in in a number of issues. So I'm surprised that, Mm -hmm. that people who I'm not Catholic, but you know, if you view the Pope as, you know, a a very religious person and a close contact with, with, with God, then I think it was just very interesting to say, because there are people like, Oh no, he's, whatever he's talking crazy and i'm like but which is it is it is the pope you know this this profound religious person that has a close connection with god and his his words Mm -hmm. and his views and interpretations of that are are sound or is he not like all of a sudden because he has this one specific viewpoint i thought it was Mm -hmm. an interesting development over the last little bit of time um, that's kind of come out um but yeah I think the Catholic Church has to evolve with its people. I think yeah, and people I think I think they have in some ways. I think yeah, I think, I think too. Yeah, I and, and and as a as a person who's a follower of Christ, um, and that sort of gets a lot of flack these days because the quote unquote evangelicals, and I'm using air yeah. quotes on this radio yeah. podcast, audio podcast. The idea of evangelicals and their viewpoints don't line up with with the with what I would say, and I'll say this on this podcast, is that they don't line up with the values of Christ. No, and they I, don't. And I, and I say that in the Christ that, that is loving and accepting of people and from all walks of life. Yeah. And, and people who like to throw the, what is it, Leviticus or whatever out there. I was like, at the same breath that that, you know, statements of, you know, as an abomination, da 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 whatever. Right. Um, the same fabrics. thing. Mixing, I was gonna say mixing fabrics is exactly the thing Seafood. I was talking about. So, so everybody's wearing a poly blend or wearing anything blend. Pads when wearing you're menstruation, like exactly. So we're eating we shellfish. Um, oh, literally, you know, all kinds of different things. Not marrying your brother's wife. Yeah, like who the fuck I is following that one? Put, <laughs> um, 
I think you have to put those kind of verses and you can't pick and choose and have to put it in context, but that's a whole nother podcast for another day. But yeah, so right. I, I think it's it's very interesting you talk about those those two different communities because mm-hmm. um, people who are listening to this may or may not know there's a long sordid history of homophobia in the black community. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like it's easier to excuse for me because like a lot of problems and that come across uh, come up in the black community just because so much of it comes from this deep racist place that was imposed upon them because like this, mm. the history of like black people and homophobia comes largely from like i mean mind you in a western sense when it's justified a lot of times as a religion or this christian backing comes from mm-hmm. the literally the doctrine that was given to black people in order to break them and distance them from their African roots. And so therefore you gave them a new religion as a tool to break slaves. So therefore that's mm-hmm. why black people hold to religion so much more in the Western world than they do, like, than like white people do. Because it's a tool that's been, if it's your life and death, if you're believing this makes it that the thing you need, then therefore it furthers a narrative that is beneficial to your slave owners. Sounds like mm. they will perpetuate you keep believing it and make it paramount to the point you believed it till your dying breath. So therefore, mm-hmm. like, I can excuse that. White people, on their hand, have just chosen, especially queer white people, have chosen ignorance in being racist. Because you decided to re- to explore your identity of yourself in queerness, a formative, a formative fundamental challenging of yourself, and decided that you were going to carry over racism with you. Like, mm. come on. That, I have a little bit of a harder time because also there's so many think pieces and stuff about that, about how it's not a thing. And I don't know, I just feel like I, it's easier to excuse because I also feel like a lot of times it comes from a lack of education and exposure for black mm. people because a lot of black people are not out. So when they meet me, I got a lot of black people who are like, you're the only out person I know. And I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah the there's only so much of that DL... So much deal culture. We don't talk about it, but you know. It comes from this constant reinforcement back all the way to slavery of the toxic masculine trace that is to be a man. Because black Mm. men aren't allowed to show feelings. Black men aren't allowed to do all these different things. So otherwise it's perceived as gay. So there's a limited view of the limited narrative of what it is defined to be a black man. And William Raspberry has a really great essay on what he says is that the definition of blackness is far too narrow to really ever like allow for anyone to authentically maneuver through this world because so few people fit within this box and so it really is about opening up what it means to be black and i think honestly um Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union do a really great job of portraying that i think in a weird in, in a really cool way and i think a lot of athletes and public eye figures have really started to like consciously dismantle this idea of this is what is uh, is to be an air quotes man by like to imposing mm. things like wearing ma- nail polish and makeup and being open about those things and opening up about their sexuality a lot more artists are coming out and you're finding out a lot more sexually fluid and a lot mm. of people are talking more about this whole concept of like their attraction to trans people and all these different things opens up the narrative of what blackness can be and so yep. therefore allows for this level of understanding. So when people are allowed to be more than one thing, and therefore they can be, so then therefore people can get used to being around this more than one thing. And so I think that it's more of a multi-tiered kind of problem in a way, 
But mm -hmm. I find that black people, we are so much more accepting in general. We're like, we don't, we accept you for who you are. Come as who you are. Now we might be the kind of people who don't talk about it. Yes, my cousin and his friend, known good goddamn well that his friend has been his boyfriend for the last 30 years. But like, mm -hmm. that's how we get down. But at the end of the day, like, it's still, I feel like black people as a whole are so much more of an accepting group of people than I feel mm -hmm. like white gays are. Because I feel like white gays are also usually wealthy, affluent, racist. So all the same problems racist. that white people have. So like, <laughs> that, that the problematic, like, like, that's usually, it's like just because they're gay doesn't mean they're not white. And gays are usually predominantly run by white men. So just because mm. they're gay doesn't mean they're not a white man. They are still a cis white man. And if they don't open their mouth about who they're sleeping with, nobody knows they're gay. So they still get all yeah. the privileges of whiteness and of white whiteness. Yeah. So therefore they operate in that kind of behavior. And it's it's very as toxic and unabashed as most white men are. Yeah. So and once you find your little community, you can be your own version of this toxic thing. Cause it's really mm -hmm. like it's all it's about outsiderness. It's like mm, you're an outsider because you're queer. So yeah. therefore, that's that's cool when you're like you're, you're 16, you're outsider. Okay, cool. But then you get older and you move to a city where there's other gay people. So now you have your little clique of your whole wide scope of a whole city like Manhattan of a bunch of white gay men who are affluent and there's other people and stuff going wrong. But there's a large population of white gay men. So therefore, you can be your own elitist racist self that you would be if you weren't gay in this situation. And yeah. so it just allows for this ability to kind of like cultivate the same toxic behaviors that are prevalent in the regular mainstream world. It's just mm. gay, but just because it's just you're a subset of the same problems exactly. we're seeing on a larger scale. Just because you sleep with saying. different people doesn't mean that like the problems go away. They just yeah. change. Very interesting. Good insights. Very interesting. I made a note about the William Raspberry. I'm going to try and find that. Is yeah, it raspberry, right? Like the fruit, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can see the essay. I think I have it. It's about the um, the widening of the definition of blackness. Yeah, I think I think that's so critical, right? So, I mean, I think it's important for people to. There was a, I think it was a, was it a Key and Peele sketch, where it was like the black Republicans, and one of the things that I always and I keep saying it and reusing it, and I'll try and find the video. It's in, in it's it's all in the scope of. Jess, we are not a monolith, right? Mm -hmm. But this holds so true in the black community is that, uh, and whether it be on various polit political spectrums or different, you know, sexual spectrums and all this kind of stuff, we're not what there's not one way to be black. There are things that are like common, more common in, in, in black culture, right? But there is not one way to be black. And I think um, that's true for us to know for ourselves, right? And as we discuss and and hopefully don't judge, but as we review other people, and then I think it's important for um for people who aren't black or people of color to understand that as well that there yeah. is not just one vein of blackness, right? Yeah, and I think that's a challenge that a lot of people, especially um, outside of our community and people who maybe don't always interact with people of color, right? That you know, if you live in the middle of, I don't know, Iowa, I'm just throwing out a state. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Live in the middle of Iowa and the and you don't have a lot of real black friends, so to say, like people you actually interact with to get to know, um, where your viewpoints are on on people of color are are shaded com almost completely by media and, and the arts and, and, and understanding that, then I think it's a challenge to really understand that. Um, 
so that's why to your point earlier is that representation is so important in the arts and film and things. Um, so it's important to see people of a variety of spectrums, different, you know, ethnicities, different sexual orientations, different, uh, neural, um, backgrounds, neural spectrum, right. Um, and all kinds of different things. It also comes down to, well, I think it's a twofold thing. And I think it comes down to not just seeing those people, but having those people in the driving seat too. Mm. Because I think that when, so the, the commonalities, the, yes, there are commonalities to blackness and any subset, any group are, are, have those things. And certain tenets are just intrinsic of being that thing. But a lot of those tenets that come with the commonalities of blackness are because racism is such a hard, fast thing that is so pervasive and stuff. So there's only so many responses you can have to certain things. So it builds kind of culture of this commonality by oppression. So like black culture is, in America is a response to oppression. We've never been in America without oppression. So every ounce of our, our culture is a response to this oppression that hasn't gone anywhere. So it's made this commonality through us all. So those are the things that yeah, we can we could both agree upon. Like the reason we can laugh about the fact that some white woman might clutch her purse if I come through with a group of black people because it's a commonality in a response that we have all understood as a survival mechanism, as a response to the oppression that we've constantly faced over a course of hundreds of years. So mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of times when people can't understand that that is not our identity, that is a survival-based response. And mm -hmm. so therefore that becomes associated with our identity but it's not us. And on the, also those little nuances are the things that make our representation matter when we're mm -hmm. in the driving seat, because we know about those little commonalities because mm -hmm. we've experienced them. So we don't have to be told about them. We know them firsthand. So therefore there's an innate level of authenticity that comes from the storytelling because also yeah. in order to be like, I can watch movies and say, Oh, a white person made this or a woman made this or different things like that. Because it's the level of familiarity familiarity with the content and the subject matter. Because mm -hmm. the little nuances, like even if you think about race, the little nuances around details of race, it's not until recently where those conversations happening cross racial lines. Mm -hmm. So in order for a white person to understand those little nuances well enough to portray them in a film and then add something new to the dialogue is highly not likely. But me as a person of color who's had firsthand experiences of these things that aren't heavily like conversed about and transferred across racial lines, it becomes mm -hmm. so much easier for me to make an authentic version of representation. For right. that. And so it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, like, and it sucks that black people know enough about white people because we've had to study them and all of their culture has been taught as mainstream. And it mm -hmm. sucks that like our history is a, one month little gloss over thing in history class and like so i'm sorry to white people that that the school system did you a disservice in order to be able to tell my story authentically mm -hmm. but that is the fact of how the world lives in this kind of current day and age and so until you can have people enough of a converse conversation has been happened between the masses to where we have this common universal understanding of these people it only is going to give you the authenticity you need in telling stories to let the people who the stories are about to be telling them. And I don't understand why that's such a hard concept for people to understand, but like it is so hard to get some cis hetero white man who wants to tell a story about the Orient, as he puts it, can't even pick a country, just says the Orient, 
to understand why that is wrong. Yeah, versus engaging with, you know, Asian American filmmakers and actors. Or having a person who's like, hey, I'm from Ichiwan, South Korea, and I want to write a thing about the South Korean Ichiwan club scene. That's specific. It's very specific and can be authentic because it's they've experienced it or or close enough to it to experience to really interpret it. They have the privilege of specificity. And so it's like but it's so hard to tell people that because also like one, the access of education and the tools to make things on the highest level is not a thing mm. oftentimes afforded to people of color. So mm. the ability, you're like, yeah, you, you could tell the story, but you don't know how to tell it with all of these big fancy tools that you only learn if you go to an educational institution or you have access to use them or knowledge yep. to know that they even are out there. And yep. so, sorry, but we're going to give it to this white person to tell this story because they just know how to do it better. But you can be their assistant or maybe we can have you come in as a writing consultant. So you're getting like, a 30th of the check that this person who's creating this whole thing is getting. Right. When it's based on your personal perspective and life story. Yeah. So, and and that's the thing. It's like, it's not enough to have people in the room. You, we have to be driving the ship. And like, it's only when that's happening, do you get actual authentic commentary? And there's just no other way around it. These are facts. We can just write into some ship driving that you're doing coming up. So uh, tell oh, us a bit about this uh, B-Day um, project. I don't know how, you, how you're calling it exactly, but this, this uh, fantastic artistic, mm, um, because your parents are awesome, opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it came about because I was making my APK which is an electronic press kit. Okay, good. Yeah. Which artists, when you're a music artist, you send out like... So basically, when you're a music artist, the way you get booked for things is you have like an electronic press kit, which is used to be like a PDF document that have like quotes about you and links they could see your stuff and um, photos of you and any information they need to know. So it's like if you were going to like put a write-up about me in an article, you would just send you this or if you're going to book me for a festival... This goes it's out to you like when you your reach out. electronic resume sort of thing. Kind of in a way. It's like everything you need say. to know about the artist to book them. Okay. So also yep. if you needed photos, let's say you needed a photo to like pull from my to put in your promo thing. Oh, okay, yep. this, this, and this. And they'd be like, oh, here we have these photos you can pull from. It's all the things you really need. If you, if, and I can change what your access is. And so it's on my website and then there's a password to it. So that's an EPK. And they're really helpful for artists. If you're a music artist out there, making an EPK is the most beneficial thing to you on the planet. It seems like it's a big hassle. And they're really fancy now. There's their digital where you can send them off just a link and stuff. It's great. Like I have my Instagram. It's a really helpful tool. Like if you need a bio from me, you can pull this straw off there. And I cannot and cannot stress enough for artists, especially indie artists, to not skip on these little tools like that because they are so helpful and they allow you to compete in a real market. But okay, so my EPK. But now that that's all, good. No, it's the good tips. It's good it tips. Is a really this is good all tip. about helping people to to grow and be victorious. Yeah. So, and these are all these things that I had to go find on my own. So, but someone just told me. So I was needed live more live footage, and I needed just more content. I kind of wanted, and so some of the stuff wasn't is it out yet? And I was doing a birth. I had done a show in my backyard randomly. I just brought my speakers out, my laptop. My people who live in my building, we're all socially distanced right now, but we all live in the same building. So I was like, you know, it's not that big a deal, but, you know, just keep it in space, you know. We had a good time, chilled, and whatever, was chill, drank, you know, whatever. 
And I just did the show from what, just to see where the album was at. And it was just like a random impromptu day. I got a bunch of flowers from this like giveaway. I, since I work in film, you know, like there's a lot of after we finish shows that have all this shit that they'll be selling. Like all these, we, I, I had like 12 bins of fake flowers I got from them and some fabric. Yeah. And so I made this whole set in my backyard and did the whole thing. And so I was like, well, I want to do this. And I'd been wanting to do a show in the back of my parents' backyard before COVID. And they have this whole back wall of windows. It's like a glass box. And I, I was watching the Chloe and Hallie video, how they were in this glass box. And I was like, I want to light a glass box and like light it. Like, I think it'd be cool to have it, it to be lit and then the darkness be outside and the people watching it. I think it's a really interesting idea. And so it kind of evolved to that. And I was telling my mother about it. And she was like, well, this is some good footage. But I was like, I'd rather just get really good quality live performance footage. I could submit it. I'm also submitting to a couple of other things. Fingers crossed if I get them. Um, that are stuff. So they needed you to be doing that and I was planning on doing an NPR tiny desk submission as well. So like I was like, cool it'd be just kill some birds with one stone. Well fingers crossed we'll see. Fingers so, crossed. Um, We're hoping for you. Right. And you get big same. time famous and then right. don't forget you know me. I'm just yeah, saying definitely always and plug Remember. the podcast. Right. I'm I was like, saying. yo, the victory podcast, yo. Um but so long story short, I was like, okay, let's just do it. So, and it was weird because I did the show and then it was like, I just had like my people in my building and my friends came over who I've been quarantining with and seen during quarantine and we're all getting tested regularly too. And then everyone was like, oh, I saw you at a show. I'd love to come to the next one if you can invite me and stuff. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing this, I guess. <laughs> and so my mom was like, yeah, we can invite some people and like do it and like make it a thing. And I was like, well, what day will work? I was trying to think of. And it was just like my birthday date kind of worked out well. And I was like, it's easier to ask people to be like, hey, I'm having a birthday thing. Come yeah. and be chill. Yeah. That's a show. It doesn't it's feel like awkward. It's just thing. like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Perfect. So it's a socially distant thing. So there's like seven groups of people that can be in the backyard, fit comfortably. And we'll probably have like a little monitor or something, maybe a telepump, like a thing so you can live stream it or stuff like that. I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. And then also I'll eventually release these live videos as like little live video performances thing. Yeah. Like in that kind of vibe. So it was kind of what killing a bunch of birds with one stone in a way and getting to give like a sneak peek of what the album's going to look like. Cause we're also working on, you can have the exclusive of that. We're working on this like movie musical film kind of thing that happens. So nice. it'll be the songs from the album, but it'll also follow like a narrative flow. So okay. it won't just be like a bunch of songs. Like a lot nice. of times I feel like a lot of these like visual albums, they're just like cool visuals and stuff, but they don't really follow a narrative super much. And right. this one will follow like a narrative, like it will feel like a film. So okay. that's that kind of what we're working on now. And so we just finalized the set list for the show. And so we have some rehearsals coming up and then I got lights and then we got us still looking to figure out who's filming. So we're, the goal is we'll probably do like two cameras happening. And then I want two really cool, like, cool dp friends of mine to do it so that way it feels like so dp like director sorry. of photography sorry okay because you go i just like to help yeah yeah no, no no different <laughs> like different industries those are gonna be different things yeah so um two amazing like cinematographers i wanted to do like friends who are just like, amazing there with camera just to shoot it just like to cover it just to see what they do and then we blend the two together kind of in a way mm -hmm. just for cutting against it and stuff but yeah i just want to like I just wanted to do something fun that wasn't about the audience. That was about me making content kind of in a way. And the mm -hmm. audience just got to come and witness it. 
So it was like, it's kind of done in a way where you're just getting to be on set for this thing happening in a way. You're the live studio audience. So it's chill. It's fun to get to bring people into the thing. Get to welcome them into my birthday kind of whole thing. It's it's on my birthday actual date. So that'll be fun. And nice. then um, I'll be stressed the fuck out the whole time. <laughs> You'll be fine. And then be fine. I just need to make sure I don't drink too much before the show because I hate I don't I don't let myself drink till the show starts. I'll have my first sip of alcohol at the show, beginning of the show. Otherwise, it gets yeah, bad. then it then, then it the nerves as a... the nerves start to get to me. I'm drinking and I'm like, like schlossed halfway through the show. So yeah, you want to be drunk. I've yeah. learned that. But lesson. just just a nice little a buzz, exactly. Buzz that builds, and by the exactly. end, you're you're finishing yeah, out exactly. Yeah, and then I'll party after the show's over. And so everyone will be temperature checked and everything, and it'll be fun, and it'll be a good time, and it'll hopefully be beautiful. That's the goal. I just want to be I'm beautiful. I'm sure it'll be beautiful. Your and parents' backyard. Time. People have no idea, like, who are listening to this, but it's a beautiful yeah. share. So just to give some context and send your mind down the visual imagery. So um, just Owen's parents. <laughs> so hard for me. It's so hard to um, talk about parents, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Owen's parents uh, bought the house on the, so their house is on the corner. They bought the house next door. So the backyards meld together and there's kind of a floating fence that they can close yeah. off and separate or open. So you end up having this nice, beautiful patio, like imagine a large patio. So their house is the whole backside of their house is all windows. And then there's a big patio off of that, that connects to another patio and trees and sort of set up. And we've had, family events there your dad's 50th birthday 55 whatever like parties and done it becomes like a smaller uh music venue is basically what it turns into which it'll be a much smaller one now because of covid you know yeah it's basically a small event space outdoor event space yeah so So this will be great and then the lights with the windows, I tested them out today, so it looks really cool. Like it looks like a glowing box of light, so it's so cool. And there'll be people I wish inside, I could come, but I'll there'll be busy. Be... Oh yeah, that'd be fun. I'll see your videos, but yeah. So be people is inside the plan too. to live stream or just record? The plan is to live stream it, just like a kind of mediocre esque version of a live stream, just to kind of be like, hey guys, if you want to kind of be there just for the birthday part of it kind of yeah. celebrating kind of like whatever you want just to be there kind of in a way and yeah. then we'll release like actual footage that's like okay pretty and like cinematic and like good and so it's like i don't want to give away too much of it like i don't want you to get the yeah. whole show beforehand and it's like no, yeah. then we'll have like okay no this is the footage from the show it's like okay so we'll do that after some like we'll do a whole beyonce coachella kind of vibes but um okay. So it should be fun. It should be like a cool time and event. And I think we're just doing, trying to do some cool things with like visuals, like projections and lights and stuff. Like it's a whole like multimedia event vibe thing. So it's pushing all of my brain to things I love to do, like event perform, pr- event production spaces and multimedia and film and sound and lighting and fashion and dance and music all the things all in one too. like yeah i know it's people are they don't even know i can dance yet which is crazy that like most most of my friends have no clue i can dance have no oh, clue wow. like most people don't wow. know i can dance at all like exactly it's like, it's just like, like people <laughs> yeah, know me know me really well no i know that's you like, like that's what i think of not first but, it's but like top, no most people that's two like, things yeah it's most people be like just... that's number one they think of but like it's so funny. There's a whole other like most of my most people who know me as a work world don't know that I can dance at all. 
They know I can, but they don't know how could I. I I'm actually good like, at it. Like, as in trained. Like, yeah. Like, I, I mean, like, yeah. I did a professional. Like, I pay my bills. Like, in grad school, like, if I needed to pay, make some money, I'd go dance, which I know it's like, oh, like, most people are like, what? <laughs> you were going to go, like, be a dancer to make money to pay your bills? But that's real. Like, that's how I pay my rent. Yeah, I would good. nutcracker pay three months worth of rent. So I was like, yo, like, hey, I'll go dance in someone's nutcracker show and make some money. So, like, <laughs> hey awesome. but so yeah um so that'll be fun and it's gonna be a really cool visual thing it won't ever they don't ever get to see me really dance but i have a music video we're working on now that's like it's a very dance video it's a very dance heavy video it's like a really like i got told the uh, my friend Planko is choreographing it i was like I want them to go, God damn, I didn't know he could dance like that. Like, that's what I wanted to go do it. So I was like, like it's some a lot hardcore, of not just two stepping, like. Like, I mean, we have aerials in it. Like, there's one of them, I don't ever touch the ground in it. Like, it's, there's all types of crazy stuff going on. So. That'll be awesome. And that'll be cool. So it'll be like a little preview of that. And then the album drops next year, at the beginning of next year. And we have all kinds of crazy visuals, like videos and a music film that's kind of come out probably like very guava island style except for it's not that secret it's just like a drop we'll probably do the festivals and then like actually come out afterwards so that'll be cool and yeah i'm just kind of like trying to make a bunch of content and use this time while i can to like plant the seeds that can grow later nice so how can people like stay tuned in to what you're doing is there some great you maybe want to share your social media or what? Oh, yeah. So people are like, oh my god, I've listened to this, and Owen is my new favorite person, oh which god, he should yes, be. Um, so, what are the best ways to kind of connect with you? Stay tuned on on all these late latest and greatest things. So, um, basically, all of my music you can find on every platform. It's just odd. It's O H D, like all caps, and then I think on Apple Music, it's like capital O lowercase h capital d because you know apple music is weird and like when you publish as an indie artist it'll change your name slightly weirdly like just just those weird things but on everything else it's just all caps ohd like um odd is how it's pronounced and um it um that's on spotify um apple music deezer amazon tiktok you can find stuff on and then um my instagram is owen h period done d-u-n-n-e so that's o-w-e-n-h period d-u-n-n-e and um that's really where i post a lot of the stuff that's happening in my life like about music new releases videos links to stuff anything that's really kind of happening that's kind of my main hub where i just will post and comment all that stuff and it's also a great way to get in touch with me because i'm very like approachable like it's too funny. This company out in South Africa hit me up. They were like, oh my God, we love your voodoo remix, like blah, blah. And they reached out and they were like, can we do like a featurette thing on you? And like, we had this whole talk and it was super cool. And like a lot of cool collabs have started from DMs. So it's like, I love your work. I, hey, it's really great. Like, cool. Let's talk. And then we talk and we met, like I did a really cool photo shoot with this person she shoots for Vogue sometimes and she was just like I we were talking she was like yeah we kept kept up on Instagram and like it's been funny also like I've met people who I've just been conversing with on Instagram before and then we become actually really good friends and colleagues from it so definitely hit me up on Instagram if you um want to chat if you like my music tell me if you post and listen to it and tag me in anything like I will repost you 
um i'll message you and say thanks so much and i'm it's actually me so <laughs> i mean like it's not <laughs> someone awesome. else awesome i will cl- make sure in the show notes you should look below that'll have owen's uh instagram um and i'll i'll link at least a couple platforms apple music and spotify yeah. um and maybe one or two other places where you can find all that is ONH done and the fantastic fabulousness that is him, which is yes, awesome. Is. And I'm biased and I don't care because no, he's my cousin. I'm biased so. Too, so I like me too. <laughs> People are like, what do you listen to? I'm like, actually, I just kind of jam out to my own music because that made it for me. So I'm I get high on my own literally, supply. Literally, literally. I just like sit in my house and I'm like, oh, but like, I gotta. I started working out to my music and that's what I was like, oh. I have hit a new level of, like, goal. Because the workout music is a whole other type. Because you're like, oh, I hate this! So if I can make music to get through working out, then I've done something, I think. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, this was fun. I don't this know about fun. you, but I had, I had a great time. I did, too. This was really enjoyable. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining us. Um, and thanks for spending some time with one of your top five favorite cousins. I know you don't have to tell anybody. Shh. Exactly. It'll be between me, you, and the listeners. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah. no, this was great. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. So thanks again to Owen. That was such a fun and deep and really profound conversation to really delve into a lot of deep issues. Um, so thanks again for spending time with us here at the Victory Podcast. As always, uh, follow us, share with this, share this podcast with your friends and even your enemies. We're on Instagram at the Victory Pod, Twitter at the Victory Pod, everywhere at the Victory Pod. Um, as well as check out Owen's Instagram information, which is below in the show notes, as well as a link to that article he was talking about from William Raspberry, as well as a lot of other great content. You can find his music and links to that, all the great stuff. So please check that out. Also, if you like supporting the Victory Podcast, please, please visit our merch store. You can find a link on thevictorypodcast.com. That's T-H-E-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y podcast.com. And on there, there's the merch page. You can great get great gifts going into the holiday season. So t-shirts, um, stickers, anything you can think of. We have um, it embedded with our the Victory Podcast logo so you can show your support for a small business, Black-owned small business. Um, so please do that. Reach out to your friends and family. So in this episode, as I do every episode, every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious. Mm-hmm.